Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives So excited today Got Peter Bromka here in the episode Talking about a whole mess of topics uh, Which is always a great time talking to Peter No question about that. Before we get into it, I want to give a shout out to MetPro. You heard, maybe you heard, my podcast recently with uh, founder Angelo Poli. MetPro, for me, really strikes a great balance between fueling my runs and doing it in a way that holds me accountable. I use the app. I stay on top of things. They have a really easy to navigate app that allows you to have like a lot of different, a lot of different choices and to fashion it in a way that gives you a lot of ways to, to mix and match different foods. I'm constantly fueling with lots and lots of food, but doing it in a way that has also helped me drop a little bit of weight. Now, dropping weight isn't for everybody, but for me, it is helpful. So I want to lose a, little, a few pounds, but I don't want to sacrifice my health. I don't want to sacrifice my performance. And that can be a tough thing to navigate, especially if you're trying to do it on your own. So for me, it's really struck a balance. And now I know this isn't for everybody. Okay. And Angelo talked about that. Like if you're not a metrics-based person or you want to be not tied to specific plans, then this isn't for you. But for me, I really like it, and it's really struck a chord with my personality, and I really enjoy it. So if you want to give it a try, and not even give it a try, we get a free consultation, just go to metpro.co slash rambling. So that's metpro, M-E-T-P-R-O dot C-O forward slash rambling. That takes you to the site. You can get your free consultation and see if it's a good fit for you. Now, let's get into it with Peter Bronca. All right, we are back again with one of my favorite guests, a recurring guest, potentially <laughs> recurring guest at this point. Yeah. Um, haven't talked to Peter in a show since the live show at the Eugene Marathon, but he is back. Peter Bronca, thanks for coming back, my man. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, man. This is going to be fun. We um, We talk a lot and sometimes we record them. Usually we don't. But sometimes we record them, and that's what we're doing today because a lot of stuff's been going on. You've written some, you've written some interesting things. You've run quite a bit. You did grandmas. You wrote about that experience pre and post. And there's just stuff going on, too, that we want to talk about that is kind of interrelated to all of these things. Before we get into how grandmas went and what that was like, you had some interesting points uh, going into it just about, like, your training and coming to grips with kind of, like, where you were in your training heading into the race. I know this was kind of like on the eve of the race in a sense. Um, so, you know, people who don't know you don't know you might not realize this. You were kind of on the cusp of getting an OTQ in for 2020, really, you know, seconds away, multiple times. And it was a really compelling story. Here you are kind of not restarting the process, but in a sense, right? Yeah. Everyone, I think people who are going down that road are are noticing, hey, we're about a year and a half away now. And, you know, time is uh, all of a sudden, we don't have all the time in the world. You know, it's starting to to, to, to to kind of creep up on us. So talk to me about how training went and what it was like in the shadow of your past experience. Oh, excellent. Yeah, no, I mean, it's been really interesting because, it was always going to be an interesting journey to reapproach an OTQ chase. I mean, you've had so many of these people on with these amazing journeys. And as I've met more of them in real life, we talk about like, wow, that was a 
that was an intense journey. Many of these people went and ran Atlanta. I came close and didn't make it, but I've met sort of a whole community of people who are interested in that as a goal and as a lifestyle, let's say. Um, and so then the pandemic hits, <laughs> it changes so many things, time passes. Um, and as we're transitioning to whatever this new normal is, it was this realization that, oh, this thing I used to do was, is very hard. Um, I love it because it's very hard, but it was sort of like something I had set down in the closet and I was coming back to it, um, which sounds funny to say, because I should clarify, I have been running throughout the pandemic, um, but there's a level of intensity and focus that's required to really optimize like your utmost performance on a, a given day that you pick like six months out that is a certain form of training and running that I just truthfully gotten away from a bit. Um, yeah, and, so and I'll say, I want to jump in there too, because of the people that I know, you know, reaching someone's, uh, the limit of their potential is an impossible thing to quantify, first of all. And because of that, you're never quite sure, like say like what percent somebody is there if you don't know what per, what point they're trying to reach or what can reach. With that said, with a caveat out there, there's not many people who I know that have come closer to reaching their potential potentially than you have, right? I think that you have done an incredible job of like really getting, I think, very close. Like you were borderline OTQ. You were right there, right? You're like, you know, again, three seconds away. So for all intents and purposes, a 217 marathoner. So when you have that, it's not like you were like, hey, I graduated from Michigan got into running and then here I am getting my OTQ, you know, like you're, you know, you're a D3 runner at a good program, but all of a sudden you're, you're really at this high level, sustained high level of performance. And, to, and I think that that's an important caveat there. So it's not like, Hey, I'm getting back into it and I'm trying to reach my potential of which I've never come close to reaching. It's like, hey, I'm trying to reach my potential that I have really scraped up against reaching many times, and I'm trying to get back there. And that that level of effort, I think, is um is more than the the the, the first category I laid out. And that, that makes sense. I mean, I've been laughing at myself in some ways because you know a lot of people of all different levels of running like to say, I do this to see how good I can be, to find my limits, to push myself, and then I. As the years have passed since 2019, I've sort of said, what if I found it? Congrats. Like I made, I ran 219 three times. I came within the OTQ 40 seconds, 20 seconds, and two seconds. Um, it's like almost careful what you ask for if, because there's a, there's an un, there's a beauty and a sort of a safety in the unknown of I do this to find my limits and to search. It's like, there's an open-endedness to that. But right. if you find it and you're like, oh, wow, I found it. I guess I'm at the end of the story. Right, but um, you don't know. You can't just like yeah, pick it up off the ground know. and be like, ta-da, look, I found yeah. it. It's right here. This is a thing. Exactly. So it's um, it's a benefit. I mean, all one thing I will say is with the benefit of hindsight, um, I both wrote a lot about my OTQ chase in 2019, 2020. I was on podcasts like yours when it was super raw. I was super emotional. I just like poured my guts out. And it's kind of fun sometimes to go back and read my stuff or listen to our conversation and go, man, that guy was a psycho. Like that guy was so focused. I mean, it's me and I know it, but I'm also like, wow, this guy was over the edge. I mean, not over the edge in a 
like destructive way, but right up at that cusp of he had, I had blocked out everything in pursuit of this endeavor. Um, and there was, and it was all positive. There was no negatives to it. But um, so the posts that you started off this question and referring to were I put, as I got closer to grandma's and got closer to re-entering that sort of cockpit of trying to launch a rocket to this crazy moon, uh, I was going through a bunch of emotions as I remembered how hard it is, how mentally challenging it is. And I was comparing myself to how smoothly it went in 2019 um, when for a number of reasons, like thankfully it re went really well. And so I, my wife has been studying like adult development and career coaching. And so I said to her, um, you know, sometimes just write stuff because it's swirling in my head and I put it on Instagram, I put it out there and I actually feel better as a result afterwards. And she's like, oh yeah, there's a, there are principles about that, about like, you know, objectifying the emotions such that they don't have control over you. And then you're able to appreciate them at a distance. And I was like, yeah, I think that's what it is. So it, I posted about how I had, I was going through the process. I don't know if I got there or if I'm still going through it to try to stop comparing myself to what I was capable of in 2019, even though I'm feeling healthy and capable now. But, um, you know, once you've had some success relative to your own ability, like it can loom a little large in your own mind. And so I put that up and people were like, thank you so much. You're right. Like I'm feeling this. Um, so all sorts of really like kind feedback. And I'm like, oh, that, that makes sense that I'm not the only one feeling this, but, um, it's just interesting to discuss because it's, um, it's like, it's the, really in the weeds of it, really in the like complexity of um, remembering what it's like to run a marathon right as hard as you possibly can. Exactly. You bring up a good point. And also, I don't want to jump the gun. Like, oh, you, you ran grandmas. We're going to talk about that in a second. There's no reason to think that like, all right, and I said 217 before I meant 218. But, you know, now that now the chase is for 217. Um, there's no reason to think, like no reason to think that that is like out of the mix just because of how grandmas went. So I don't want to say like, hey, time to turn over a new leaf bromka like oh, yeah. yeah but it, but it is but i want i did want to make sure i made the point of like it is different to get back to where you were if where you were is like 99.6 percent of your potential as opposed to if where you were is 50 percent of your potential getting back to where you were while challenging might not be the hardest thing you've ever done especially if you're not that far removed from it so um i wanted to make sure i put it out there where was there various points in your training where you went from feeling like i'm getting my just getting my my sea legs under me i'm just getting back to where i was to where all of a sudden you're like hey maybe even though this is my goal race i i think i'm not going to be where i was going into this race like was there a line of demarcation where you might have gone from like Training's not there yet, but there's a lot of training to come until like, all right, no, I'm going to, I might need a different race plan this time. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, uh, the last time I came on here, we talked about my progression of the marathon and how I had this, <laughs> turns out um, I had never fully appreciated the psychological benefit to always running faster every race. I had had this like amazing progression and I had always paid lip service to uh, how wonderful it was and how I felt grateful but if every time you line up, you're fairly confident that you are fitter than the previous time you ran, then there's a real flywheel effect of momentum around like today's going to be great. It's going to go so well. So after I, you know, leveled off in 2019 and had some great races repeatedly, trying to get back to that level has been daunting because you 
again, you're talking about the last few percent of your ability. And so you can have good workouts. Like I had good workouts in March where I, I felt like, okay, like that's that rhythm again. I, I remember that rhythm and I love it. And it's not easy, but um, I was out at Savi Island where we train. It's like a very flat marathoner's paradise and just hammering with a guy. And I was like, okay, this is hard right now, but in about two or three months, this will have to be the normal. And then I'll build on top of this. Um, I will say I got COVID 10 weeks out from grandma's and that really threw me for a loop and made me think maybe I don't even go. Um, I was super fortunate to recover fairly quickly. Um, and that put me a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of the progression that I would have needed to have my best, best, best race. Um, so the long story short on grandma's is a whole bunch of guys (laughs) It's a very, I don't, if people don't know, it's one of the nerdier marathons. I say that totally affectionately. Um, It's been around for decades. It runs along the Lake of uh, Lake Superior in Minnesota and people come in from all over the country to just rip from like a point to point um, down net downhill, flying along the road, totally supported. And so these guys headed out at 218 pace and 217 mid pace and i knew from the gun i knew heading in i wasn't really going to be able to stay with them i had only done a bit of practice at that pace the question then is how do you down calibrate a goal that is both going to like be very very hard to achieve and therefore very meaningful um and truthfully i don't think i ever answered that question all that well um so i went out just behind that pack few seconds off um was running with some guys it felt a little too hard so i kind of backed off a little bit more suddenly get caught by some guys it's all to say i went through the first 10 miles never really feeling settled um, and certainly never finding the flow that i had years ago when the otq pack was a little slower i was a little fitter and i was able to say i don't know how long i'll last but i'm going to settle in with this pack i think that's probably true for people at you know the 230 the 245 the three hour pack you go uh you know pretty early you're either like okay these are my people um i can settle in with them or you think this is too hard how do i recalibrate on the fly um and so part of that was certainly the physiology of how fit i was um both in the buildup and how many workouts I'd been able to do at those paces. And then also, honestly, in the hindsight, it's the two weeks post, so I've been giving myself some time to think. My own ego of, okay, if you've run 219 a couple times, um, can you look at 220 and really want it as much as you're going to need to want it to do it? Um, How about 221? How about 222? How about 223? You know, you start to go, it just becomes this negotiation. And in hindsight, um, I ended up running 231, uh, kind of like out in 111, but truthfully, I was already sliding um, and then came back in 120, jogging, kind of like running it in, like not not walking or jogging, but, you know, I was talking to a few people and finished it up and I'm proud that I brought it home. But I also, uh, I know that truthfully, I never got my mind around to um, like owning a, a different number, let's just say. Um, and so that left me out there without like a clear directive and I'm self-coached. I have a close network of teammates and friends who love the sport and we like debate it all. Um, I sometimes wonder like if I had a official coach, what would that person have told me? Like what, what would they have said with that perspective? 
Yeah, that's a good point. Because maybe they would have like that external voice might have said like, hey, let's go out for, let's go for 223. So you can basically like, you know, what's what's the word? I always they can delegate the number, they delegate the responsibility and you say, OK, well, then that's the time instead of like having that like back and forth and negotiation with yourself and then rationalizing it and then going um, around and around and around. Um, I would think and again, grandma is such a different race because it's you as you mentioned, there's so many people that you were in and around the whole time. It's the vast majority of marathons. There's just not a lot of people in the 220s to like connect with. Right. There just isn't. Right. So I was going to ask that question about just like what the landscape was for you as a runner, because for so often, you know, the the pull of the group ahead, while maybe a little too fast and for some maybe even bordering on reckless early in a race does have the potential positive impact of like not just being out there alone. Yeah. Where like all of a sudden, like going out too fast might not be great, but being out there for 26 miles alone isn't great either. So which end of the spectrum are you going to lean on? Yeah. And I mean, it, and that's why, uh, you know, family or people who don't know a lot about the race are like, why do you always go to this California international race? And I'm like, because <laughs> nerds fly in from around the world and they're my people. Um, or, you know, what makes Boston special? And you're like, well, are you aware that at the Boston Marathon, you line up based on your qualifying time? And that's, you know, your numbers on your bib and um, the, like it's very it's serious where there's all these charming marathons all over the country where you might be around someone or you very well could not be depending on at any base. Uh, it's just like very it's left up more to chance. One thing I got to see as I was running it in uh, like kind of up tempo, still feeling just feeling kind of lousy, but like keeping it moving was men were passing me and I would cheer them on. And I'm like, I got to like witness their solo endeavor, um, you know, down the road, seemingly like still like in pursuit of a goal all alone out there. And I'm like, you're doing great, man. Like, oh man, that looks so hard to see. Like, it looks like they're, they're really right up against it right now. So I would just cheer them on and they would continue. And you're just like, oh, so tough. Now, do you have any regrets over not being as competitive with yourself as you could have been? I, it's interesting the way you ask that competitive with myself. I think the thing I'm, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to beat myself too much. I'm moving forward and I'm healthy and so I'm excited. I, uh, I, think my biggest takeaway is that it's like a reflection of my own ego. I couldn't get my head around to running 223 and 223 like would have finished second. I finished third as a master's that would have put me uh, um, like right in the cusp to be second as a master's. Uh, 223 would have been a great time for me only a few years ago. And so I never, it's an interesting exercise in like, when we do these big endeavors, we have to find a, a zone that we both like aspire to, but are somewhat capable of to make it just that right goal that drives the best out of us. Um, and I got a little too caught up in, you know, what would be, what would I be kind of proud of these days? And I, I think I never really answered the question. Um, I, even before grandma's, I realized, okay, my real attempt, if I have any shot, <laughs> at running to 1759 is probably in December at CIM where I both know the course 
um, truthfully, the training and without getting into it too much, the weeds of the training, like I'm, I was forced to face just how well I trained in 2019. Let's say there's, I've been saying to people, let's say there's like 10 to 12 key long runs that you quote unquote, like need to do to really run at your very best in this buildup, uh, due to like the fitness I was coming in with, I got to do a handful of those, but not quite enough to learn. It's been fascinating. Like I got very physically fit. I didn't, the long runs we do like any marathoner does, but like, as you start to get right up into this level of experience are terribly hard and very exhausting. And so you can only do them like really every once, every two weeks. So you can slice through 10 weeks by being like, okay, I only really get five attempts because the off weeks will often do like long, easy runs. Um, right. More just aerobic build. Aerobic build within yourself. And so what it allowed me to do is realize, oh yeah, in 2019, I built up to the Boston Marathon. Then I built up to CIM. In that year, I was able to do a whole handful of workouts that not only got me super fit, fine, that's fine. But um, we did this workout in February, 2020. It was four by four mile, like faster than marathon pace, almost half marathon pace. And I was with some guys and I've been trying to write about it. It opens up a mental space that is akin to racing, even without, you're not actually racing, but your body starts to feel like, oh my gosh, in the same way that it does at the end of a marathon. And so you get to practice all the cues of like, how do I stay calm? How do I stay mentally engaged? Um, I mean, afterwards, I wrote about it in an essay. My friends texted me like, you rocked it today, man. Like, you do, do you realize what you did? And I was like, holy shit. all I did was just try to stay with my teammates. Like, I, like I wasn't trying to like, you know, one up them. I was just like, you know, I, I, I can distinctly remember an image in my mind of my teammate looking over his shoulder and I'm like, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still here. And that's what it feels like at the end of a marathon. And so you have to be incredibly fit for your level of ability to even be able to do those workouts to then gain the mental and physical benefits of them. And I just didn't get to do a ton of that in this buildup. It's not to say it wasn't like a quality buildup for where I was coming from. Um, but it's been, a, it has been a whole experience on how do you reapproach something when you've done it really at the highest level that you ever have. I mean, we're, we're not talking about, I ran Boston in October and I also had a meh one because, um, I was kind of pissed about, about the, uh, weather and the humidity in October, ba ba Massachusetts. I kind of wanted to throw up the whole time, but I also had no idea how to level set. I mean, there's a theme here. I had no idea how to goal set what I should go out at. Um, it had only been, you know, it had been the pandemic, but it had been 2019. I ran Boston with like total fearlessness and the most fitness I'd ever had in my life, like pretty good place to start. Um, and so to, to try to go back and recreate some of that magic again, I had the super honor of starting with the pros and then they just blew off the front and I was mostly all alone. So it's this theme again of like, how do you find the most in yourself when you're not even sure, like ballpark what's in there? Now you're talking my language, baby. <laughs> that's yeah. exactly where I am for the most of my efforts. Um, no, that's interesting. And, and, and how you phrased it before of like, you know, you were on this not linear path, but you'd kind of like better, 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 better. And then, you know, again, for very 
legitimate reasons, you know, that's like, hey, this is just how grandmas worked out. And that's just kind of the break sometimes. And we see it with runners of all stripes, of all distances, um, road and trail. So that's just kind of the, the way it goes. And we should say you did run Austin. It was kind of like a, a fun, a fun marathon. You definitely like pushed yourself, but it wasn't a race, right? Kind of like a 90, 95% effort. Um, and I want to bring that up because you now have two marathons on your, this is my favorite topic with Peter and he's laughing in the background because he knows where I'm going. So now you have two marathons under your belt in this calendar year, which means you have now set yourself up in the world masters marathon, the Abbott world masters marathon rankings. Cause you can, you yes. have to have, it caps you at two races for qualifying, your two best qualifying two races. races, your two best races. Now you have two races under your belt and you are currently ranked in the 40 to 44 year old age group number nine in the world. All right. World Marathon oh. Masters. We should say <laughs> this, this qualifies for um, these races are held as part of the London Marathon. So this is a really exciting thing. This is fairly new. They tried to launch this a couple of years ago, but then COVID hit and it just like squashed the whole endeavor. And but here we are. We're we're so excited about this. I shouldn't say we. I am so excited about this. I've been like I tracking it like excited. crazy. Your I'm excitement. texting you all the time. <laughs> Your enthusiasm <laughs> is really um, shining onto me, and I'm excited for it. I mean, I I've always said I want to run the London Marathon. Um, I've wondered how I would get in, so this could be an amazing opportunity to get in. We should say top 100. It, it, the age groups it kind of filters down. So like in the 80 to 84 year age group, it's like five people will qualify to go to London. In your age group, it's 100 in the world. So top 100 in the world automatically qualify to go to London to compete. Obviously, you're not going to get yourself paid for or things like that, potentially. But um, it's just a matter of like, hey, you get automatic entry, which for so many people is like, that's a lottery ticket in and of itself because it's just so hard to get in. I mean, yeah, I've met people who have the world marathon major, the medal with all the um, they've run all the races and they're like, do you want to do that? And I was like, yeah. Um, but flying around the world to pursue my hobby, um, is pretty expensive and requires a lot of, um, but I, I don't begrudge them for having done it. It's amazing. It's just sort of like, I'd like to do a lot of things. Um, these require resources and time. And so I'm trying to figure out I've, it's again, it's one of these careful what you asked for. I've always said, I'd love to run the London marathon if I could just get in. And then you you know, Matt Chittum texts you and goes, you're probably going to get into the London Marathon. You go, oh, <laughs> gosh, um, now I need to look at my bank account and our family vacation calendar and go, what does 2023 look like? Um, because there's safety in the things I know. Um, my cousin qualified for Boston. Uh, he's a longtime listener of the Rambling Runner podcast. He actually cued me off to it years ago he goes like you should be on this podcast i i've been listening to all these episodes and i'm like oh i think i've heard a few of those um thank you peter's uh, what, cousin appreciate yeah, chris, it chris mancini is chris mancini called, fellow vassargrad right. go brewers <laughs> he yeah oh man division three athletics we could just talk forever that's a different <laughs> podcast but um he qualified for the boston next year and so i was like oh and so my family's been like, are you going to go to Boston? And I, I realized, although I ran the October Boston, which I always be thankful for because it's this unique thing, it'll have been four years this spring since I ran a April Boston, which is kind of my favorite day of the year. Um, so I'm trying to, I think that's where I was thinking I would go because, you know, it's this thing I know it's not, it, it's, 
in my comfort zone, which you could say like, well, you should push outside your comfort zone. And you go, yeah, but like. You have to push out your comfort zone in every single direction. <laughs> in every <laughs> single comfort direction. Zone in certain directions while staying in your comfort zone in others. And we should, it's and only you, the same. Say you're bringing this up because you can't run London and Boston and like run hard at both. Which I is, think I they're know in the, the same week or so. And so I'm trying to figure that out. And um, Well, I mean, see, because you just, because you just became a master's, I think it's also, you want to embrace life in, hey, look like there's no tomorrow. But at the same time, like, that also means you won't have a savings account. So it's probably not the best way to live. So You got to um, prioritize. Yeah. So you would prioritize things. So I think it's also reasonable to assume that you would qualify for this master's championship again in the future, especially since you're like younger in the age group. So say if you can qualify for it with two marathons that weren't really like your best, like, well let's just assume that next year goes well. Like there's no reason to assume that like you couldn't qualify again the following year. That's a fair point. And I think I could think about it like that. Uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate that both I'm, I've been knock on wood, staying healthy. And also, uh, I love doing this. You know, there's people who kind of like ebb and flow through marathoning and I'm like, I'm just camped out here waiting in line to do the next one. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I know that, I wrote a piece about this recently. I know you want to get to eventually about um, being a dad and prioritization. And that's really the thing I'm thinking about a lot is that there's there's so many of these things, particularly as we had two years where there wasn't a lot of it. Um, I ran the Rambling Runner virtual marathon in May 2020. Best virtual marathon <laughs> out there. It was, it was great. <laughs> uh, I won a necklace that was wonderful that I gave to my son. Um, but it, it, th- those years gave me deep appreciation for like this stuff doesn't have to always be around. Um, so let's appreciate it. There you go. No, well said. And let's talk about, so you wrote Endurance Dad, which was a great piece over on, so Ultra Sign Up? Ultra Sign Up yeah. newsletter, yeah. Yeah, Ultra Sign Up newsletter. It was really well done. Um, and we're not going to do a, you know, a full, go read the piece. All right, we're yeah. not going to, Peter's not going to we'll read it on the it. podcast. Right? We'll, <laughs> we'll link, link to it. it. It's there. Follow Peter. It's around. There's a lot, you'll find it a lot of places, including in the show notes. Um, but it was a great piece for like the the synopsis basically being like, hey, it's hard to juggle this stuff because if you have a hobby that takes a lot of time, that means you're out of the house a lot. And if you're also working and your partner's working and the whole thing gets tricky, especially when you have younger kids, right? And the kids start to notice. The kids start to notice and they need you around. It's not like, hey, they're a teenager. Yeah, they want you around, but they also want independence. So you have some wiggle room there. Um, It's the the younger kids with the hobby that takes a lot of time, plus the work and all this stuff. And now you wrote an endurance dad because that's you. You are an endurance dad. This is not gender specific. This can be applied to anybody. So I just want to make sure that's out there too. With the idea being like, hey, if you want to pursue something outside of the home, and try to be excellent at it. It means you're not going to be in the home as much as you would be if you didn't pursue it. And what does that mean? And what does that mean from a just a, the daily decisions, the prioritization, and the the length of time? Because hey, if you're going to do the ten the you know the ten thousand hour rule, this isn't like a three month thing, right? It goes way beyond that. And I loved reading that in light of my own following sports experiences, reading biographies, and reading this past couple months, I was a month and a half ago, I listened to the um, the biography by Cameron Haynes, who people may know, um, he is a world-class bow hunter, 
but also an extremely good runner, an ultra runner, and who has uh, family lineage in the running community. He grew up in Eugene, Oregon. His dad ran in Oregon, uh, I think for a little bit, maybe transferred, and then was like a long jumps coach or jumping coach there and uh, worked the world championships every year at, at Hayward Field. Anyway, comes from a running family, but became one of the best bow hunters in the world. And hearing about his dedication, what he had to do to get there, not in terms of like just practicing being a bow hunter, but being a bow hunter, we're not going to do a full discourse here, but basically you're out in the woods for days at a time running and hiking, and you have to be extremely physically fit on top of being really good with the bow. So you're like, wow, this is going to take a lot of time to prepare. So you're hearing about his daily regimen over a decade, two decades, three decades, and you're sitting there, you're like, so you're, this is, this is me. I'm like listening to it as I'm mowing the yard. <laughs> like I'm listening to it. I'm like, so are you ever home? Because you also yeah. have a full-time job. So, well, and then you have these situations where you're like, is this just, and this is my question to you as, as I'm rambling on the rambling runner podcast is the, 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 the decisions that people make, if they really and truly want to be the best in a field and the opportunity cost therein with making that kind of decision and what that means for the other people in their life. And I think that that's something that um, can get tricky at best and potentially polarizing and very, very difficult at worst. Yeah, I mean, the interesting, so I was, the piece came about because I was on a call with the editor, Jen Hughes from Ultra Runners, Ultra Sign Up, and she, we were discussing things that were top of mind. And Gary Robbins, the professional trail runner, had just posted on Instagram that he was going to bow out of the Barclays uh, for that year. And he was going to focus on just being at home more. Uh, again, uh, there's this amazing relativeness um, to, I mean, he was doing like 20 hour, five hour training blocks, you know, 25 hour training days. Um, 12 hour sessions, the races. The, 20, the 25 to, hour training day is, is, yeah, is, is that, a mouthful. I mean, he's able to ma maximize. Um, <laughs> he is so good at running. He can actually get a full extra hour in. That's how he does it. Um, that's the secret. Um, you have to, if you can run for 24 hours, maybe you find that 25th hour. Um, the, this idea that reminds you of that Twitter account of slight digression who has like, who has for some reason blocked me, even though I didn't even know he was a person who puts out like random, like training advice, like, Run your 5K, um, oh, yeah. no breaks at one mile pace. You're like, that's not how this works. That's not <laughs> so how this not works. No, <laughs> no, those are, oh, there's a lot of advice online. This doesn't always mean it means anything. Uh, <laughs> where was I going? I mean, this man said to me a couple of years ago, he's a friend out of Boston. He goes, you know, have you ever heard the definition of um, ins training insanity? And I said, what? He goes, anyone who trains more than me. And I was like, oh, I see what you're saying. Like, you know, because people will say, that guy trains like insanity. And you're like, all they're really saying is like, you know, this could be coming from someone who trains 100, 110 miles a week. But like, that guy's nuts. I'm not nuts. Um, <laughs> and so I felt like there was a very close, like parallel there in the parenting world of like, I'm out here just trying to fit miles into every little crack of time in the day. And while also still being around and then uh, truthfully, like, I didn't even get into it in the piece, but the things I've been noticing as my son is now seven, he'll be eight and like getting more physically able is he's getting physically able enough that in my depleted marathon state, he's like, dad, I want to run around the block. And I'm like, I want to say like, are you effing kidding me? I 
already at 18 miles today. I did a workout. <laughs> I did a lifting session, like before I picked you up from school. I don't have an ounce of energy left. And but like that's not his prerogative. His prerogative is maximizing fun. Um, and so you realize, oh wow, I am making trade-offs here. I'm not able. I'm making sacrifices. I'm prioritizing things. And it. And then in the comments of it was interesting. Someone finally said it. They were like uh, two different things. One like what about moms? And I had to, I replied and said, you know, um, working with the editor, Jen, I had attempted to convey gratitude for my wife, for moms, um, put it, my experience, lived experience in relation. And she said, Peter, like, this is both true and fine, but it's also not your lived experience. You're, You're clearly veering from just your authentic uh, the, the journey that you have lived that you're trying to convey. And, you know, we can live in a world where people say like, you think you have it bad, I have it worse. And you go, okay, but I'm just going to try to bring something straight from the heart and not say it's any better or worse than anyone else, but actually say probably many of you have felt this as well. And that's been the, the best reaction is people saying, Hey, thanks for this. I, I struggle with this. I appreciate that you're not trying to tell us any answers, but you're saying, um, right, right. you know, so, and then, and, and then, I, I, I want to jump in there too, because I just want to point out, like, if you are a partner, male or female or, or non-binary or whatever, like, and you're basically telling your partner, like, screw you, I'm going for, I'm going to go do my hobby. And I really don't care what you have to say. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that's like collaborative about. efforts. And in the context of a collaborative parenting family effort, trying to find excellence in a field and the problems therein. And I'll just touch on briefly, we don't have to talk about, you know, capitalism for too long, but um, this idea that there's value in a pursuit within life that doesn't compensate you monetarily has been an interesting theme that's come up in both my writing and in people's response to my writing. Um, I mean, when I was on your podcast years ago, people reached out to me and said, like, thank you so much for, you know, voicing your journey. It's something I'm hoping to go on. And we are used to, um, it's a very privileged life to be able to like pursue these things. And I feel like so full of uh, gratitude for it. Um, It's a little more understood if a parent's just out of the home, um, sitting at the office you know, or, or working two or three jobs. Like, you know, I've had people reach out and say like, I want to do what you're doing, but I, I have to work 80 hours a week and I have four kids. And I have to say like to them, it just might not be on. I'm in a position in my life where it is able to balance somewhat. Um, and that's working. Um, but doesn't, there's no rule that says it's definitely going to work. Right. Yeah. Cause there, there are certain things that we, that people will have constraints, right? There are certain constraints and you try to maximize within those constraints and everyone's constraints are different, um, right? Some people's constraints will be physical. Like, hey, I can't run more than 50 miles a week without breaking down. That's what history has shown. I can't get around it. So like, I won't be able to be a 218 marathoner because I just can't put in the mileage that would necessitate that sort of thing. Or there might be time constraints or support constraints. Like, hey, I'm working and we don't have family around here. So childcare is an issue and things like that, right? So it's, it's obviously the, there's that constraint element within lives and everyone's constraints not only are different, but also changing, right? Your constraint now might not be your constraint in the future and vice versa. Um, and those things that we're all faced with evolving constraints over the past two years. And so I think that's what people are really trying to uh, – 
better understand, okay, where do we sit now and what am I capable of? Right. For sure. And I think also understanding what what is a constraint versus what is something that can be worked around. I know that I have approached this in the past and be like, oh, I can't do this because I just don't have enough time. And like, I think back, I'm like, cool. You have yeah. plenty of time. Like, look you at you now. Like you were like, what were you thinking? You know? And again, I'm not projecting myself on anybody else. I'm just looking at like my own personal N of one experience. Like I had times in my life where I viewed certain things as constraints that really weren't they were yes. more like i was mess i was not prioritizing other things correctly which then made these other things constraints like oh well if you're going to do xyz then yeah a might be a constraint but if you can like take that other stuff off your plate then maybe it won't be again just i say that now it's like hey like i like run my own business and i have kids and like you know i'm doing a bunch of stuff at home i take my kids to and from school i'm working with them with their homework like i got a lot of constraints now that i didn't have before and like i look think back and i'm like wow like <laughs> you you viewed things as constraints that really weren't and they were just priorities they were priorities exactly they were priorities and they're like hey maybe if you didn't do these other three things and like maybe you would have had time or like maybe you wouldn't have been injured if like you had eaten and sleep and eat, eaten correctly and slept well maybe you wouldn't have been injured so the injury wouldn't have been a constraint mm. yeah there's it's, it's it's a complex uh nest of things and that's why i think it is interesting that the different perspectives you bring on your podcast and i mean my favorite thing to say is sometimes like there are a lot of pro runners that don't know much about running. <laughs> so, you know, there are people who are at time society sometimes lionizes and wants to hear from the people who are crushing at the top. And sometimes those people are just fortunate enough to be in a zone. They've arrived at a zone where they're able to execute and they're like, um, maybe say as do as they do, but um, they might not be able to even lend, you know, stories explanation to how they're able to do what they do um and we all have that to some degree but i think it's it has been really interesting as the as more stories come out on social media come out on podcasts you go oh wow this person um you know is a working medical professional and does their workouts after their you know 10 hour shifts on their feet i didn't think that was possible but like now i know of an example so it, right it like is you're like the sam records of the world you're like you ran yeah. 229 after doing what with your Absolutely. with your days, it's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's I feel like that's why even in pro sports, you look at like a lot of the top coaches who were players at like in in at the highest level. Again, they're players at the highest level, so we're really really splitting hairs here. But the, at that level, they were the grinders, mm -hmm. right? So you see, like because that way, like they have the shared experience of I know what it's like to be in the NBA, but also I know what it's like to be a role player. I know what it's like to do this and this this and this, and also. Because I was a grinder, I can commu potentially communicate to people who are trying to get to that level, hey, these are the things you have to do if you can't rely solely – once once you can no longer rely solely on physical talent, here is how to get to the next level, right? Whereas there are other people like, like you know, Larry Bird and LeBron James can't tell people how to become better passers. They're like, I don't know. Just, mm. This is what I see. What do you want me to tell you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I can't tell you how to see the court. This is just what I see. Whereas there may be other people, again, you know, who you know, name a person like, you know, say Steve Kerr might, might be a good example of this, who's done such a good job with the Golden State Warriors of like, he's able to communicate certain things that like as a grinder that he was able to experience and also being on basically, 
you know, the, the doorstep of greatness where Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen were concerned that he was able to see how they were interact and take from the positive and learn from the negative. So you have like, the, again, within that high echelon, that little space that can potentially make a difference. And I think that's what we're seeing. I'm really interested by my generation of peers who are now professional running coaches. So it's a small data set, but Dathan Rittenstein with the On Athletic Club is doing an amazing job so far. His athletes are performing, I mean, just at a tremendous level consistently. He'll go to a meet and have like five different athletes all run well. And you go, right. what is that hit rate? Um, he's an athlete who set an American records, has many national Had championships. Had all the talent but- in the world. As all, the talent world, all the talent world, but, all, yeah. but also just like just broke himself over and over and over and over and over. Um, and as a, he's about a year or two younger than me, and so I was a big fan of his and followed his career really closely. And it just witnessed how many times he injured himself. Um, and so I, I, I like to think during this small this current period of success that he's translating some of those things for his athletes and able to bring them back maybe from injury a little bit wiser than he did, maybe help, helping them avoid the potholes that he stepped in. Um, right. He has like the, that, that, the two core tenets of like knowing what it's like to be at the, like the, the highest level of talent, but also having the experience to learn from and hopefully communicate that experience to other people. Again, we just talked about balancing life. I have to go pick my son up at basketball oh, yeah. camp in 10 minutes and we can't leave certain meat on the bone. And that is, you were just at Western States. So you were there oh. as part of the crew support for Zoe Rome, who's been on the podcast, one of the most talented, caring, empathetic, and I'll say it again, talented people. Uh, they're hardworking there, I can't remember, uh, in the running media space. Um, also an exceptional, exceptionally talented runner. Um, so she was there uh, to run Western States. I'll let her tell her own story about the Western States experience and what that was like for her. Uh, she she was a DNF, unfortunately, um, but ultimately that's not a reflection on her hard work nor her talent uh, or character. It's just how it goes sometimes. Um, so I'll let her tell her that story. But I was interested as from your perspective, as someone who's been at a lot of major, world marathon majors who has attended world championships in Eugene who ran, who, who, who attended the um, Olympic trials marathon in Atlanta, oh, absolutely. been yeah. a lot of places. What was just first, like, we'll go generally first. What was it like at Western States considering your history of going to big running events? Oh yeah. I mean, it's certainly, it's a good question because I, yeah, I'm now racking up a diverse set of, uh, running excellence um it felt like being at the super bowl uh buying a buying a ticket to be at the super bowl of a sport that i i i was telling everyone i was so happy to be there because it's tangential enough to my running that i feel like i can deeply appreciate it um but while also we've talked a bit in this hour about my own ego or you know my own sense of myself i can i could just set that aside you know people would be like so what do you think being here you're going to do one of these and i'm like you don't understand I am so psyched to be here and observe and witness this greatness. And it can be truthfully hard to go to track meets and marathons and like fully set your own expectations aside. You hear it all the time. You're sitting in the Hayward Field and, you know, some guy runs 1245 and the guy next to you goes, well, that's like when I ran my five and you go like, it's really not, it's really not like that. <laughs> um, you know, so to be at a hundred mile race, um, the biggest takeaway I keep talking about, you play along with sound files a lot as an audio guy. It's like taking the file and just stretching it out 
so much that it plays slower and you're able to appreciate these nuances. You see them coming, they happen, they, they flow. Um, and it was, it's just, you get to be inside this bubble where the whole community, it feels like a marathon Sunday. Like we know that feeling, but what I realized, and I think I posted this on Instagram, there's in the marathon and shorter, there's a lot of, Hey Matt, I'll see you on the other side. Mm-hmm. Like we believe in you, buddy. Like we might even make it on course to scream for you a few times. Um, and, but it's very much like now I hope you've internalized all the tools, psychological and physical you'll need, because we'll see you on the other side that with a 24 hour race. I mean, you mentioned it. Zoe was forced to DNF at mile 80, you know? So she had over a half a day of a journey of like, so much to appreciate and unpack and experience and learn from, but also just like appreciate for the day. Um, and so, and then as a team, I got to be both a crew member that was hopping around, making sure she had what she needed at different spots. And then I got to pace. I like, just like, I think it'll probably be like a lifetime honor of mine to be, be pacing her from mile 62 to mile 80. Um, and just get to witness that and get to go through that with her. Um, it was really emotional. Um, it just, I've been trying to describe it as there is this reality distortion field that runners enter as they run a hundred miles. And as a crew, you're sort of hopping around on the edges of it, um, but you're outside of it because you're the objective person who's getting them what they need, who's asking the questions they might not be thinking to ask. Um, but then as, as a pacer over the hours, you sort of get sucked into the reality distortion field because you are in lockstep with this person. And so you're asking questions and you're supporting them, but you're also, um, it takes a lot of mental gymnastics to get your body to move for that long um, at that level of effort. Um, And so the long story short without cutting it for Zoe was that by the end, um, I was supporting her and we were really trying to problem solve how she could continue to move forward. Um, and I texted her boyfriend where we were so he could run down from because from an aid station. And so he came down a mile downhill. Um, and by him being there, we had three perspectives and able to triangulate the fact that like she essentially couldn't walk. Like you can't cover 20 more miles when you can't walk. But for Zoe, she's problem solving and she's trying to figure out how to move her stride in such a way that she can still maintain forward momentum. And I had been nearly entirely sucked into her distortion field and was like, no, 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 exactly. Like if you, if you move like this or like if if you attempt, at one point I said, what if you mimicked what a, a stride should feel like and see how, you know, like you're trying to make up words to get someone to continue to move they're in an awful amount of pain and it's starting to cascade um into a series of so it's only to say like but what for the people who finish successfully and do really well and for the like every person along that um it was so emotional and so slow like these these people were passing us and they'd turn and they'd say like um like you're doing great zoe and zoe would say oh my gosh you're in our next, um, you know, epi- you're in our next edition of the magazine. Like, I l- love your story. And so they, runners are sharing um, encouragement. Um, and it, I almost got jealous because I love marathon 
uh, race day, but it almost happens so fast. It feels like, you know, everyone's always like, I'm exhausted. I was only out there for three or four hours, uh, five hours cheering. Um, but like you, we, as marathon fans, we pour it all into this little hot second. Um, and it, what I got to see is in ultra running, they stretch it out and they just get to enjoy and like appreciate, but also uh, suffer through like these really intense moments over so many hours. For sure. That's a great way of putting it. Thank you. The distortion field, uh, you know, say, I don't know if that's that a metaphor, is that an analogy? I don't know, something, but it's, it's really well put. I like it. Um, I feel like there's plenty of Stranger Things um, comparisons that we could have <laughs> dived into as well. All right, before we get going, I do want to ask, as someone who has witnessed the best runners in the world up close and seen them up close, and I don't, I'm just not, I'm not like being hyper, uh, you know, there's nothing hyperbole about this. Oh, you yeah. have literally oh, yeah. been right there next to the best runners in the world many times. So what was it like, or were you able to witness kind of the race leaders at any point kind of running um, either in or out of an aid station to just get a sense of um, what that felt like and looked like from very close up, which we know anyone who's seen a professional athlete up close, it's it's just different than seeing it on television. It just inherently feels different. It's a visceral experience. So did you were you able to have any of those experiences? I mean, yes, because I was standing there as uh, athletes would be coming in to meet with their crew. Um, and then I would, I would, I know some of them. And so I'd run up next to them as they're going out of the aid stations and be like, so Tyler Green is from Portland. He ended up finishing fourth. He finished second last year. And I said like, Hey, Tyler, I'm here with you. Like you're doing it. Um, I think I'd need to give this more thought. I stood right behind the start of the women's hundred at the Prefontaine Classic when uh, Shakari and these other women came out. And Fred Curley said after the U.S., um, he said like the hundred meters is almost entirely mental. Um, this was his assessment at the press conference. Sorry, I'm jumping around, but it's like, I've seen these people line up for the hundred meters. And I think there's an interesting, um, if you were to boil it down, it's extremely mental for the hundred, the mental, my understanding, I've never raced a hundred is like, you have to get into such a confident mindset that every single step you take is perfection that will, lead, will translate to pure speed. What I witnessed in the uh, Western states was these athletes, even if their day is going really well, have so much time to think and to question themselves that they have to have this insane, tremendous sense of calm in order to not go to places that they easily could be justified to go to, to question, you know, so for instance, Tyler was running in like sixth and it's super hot. We're at Michigan bluff in the middle of the day, the sun is beating down. And he, I was like, you're doing it, buddy, you're doing it. And he looks at me and just like, there's a hauntedness to some of their eyes of like, I'm in it right now. And I, I'm going to have to stay in it for 10 more hours. Um, oh, I mean, I don't know if you've talked with Ellie Pell, but um, Ellie Pell is a, you know, a OTQ yeah, level I, I, marathoner. Yeah, I talked to her. I told her a year ago, we like, we had a full like hour long non-podcast conversation. Um, yeah, she's a she, fascinating she's person. A, she's a fascinating person. And I mean, I, after the race, I gave her a hug before the race. And then I gave her a, hug, a big hug after the race because I saw her at mile 30. And I thought, <gasps> like, you have this visceral, like human, like you want to, you I mean, I think parents should stay away because you almost want to run out and like help them because you're like, mm -hmm. Ellie is racing and she has 70 miles to go and she's put herself into the hurt locker early. Like, and so it, it's just extremely visceral. And it, it's a, it, I, I think there's some like very strong similarities to 
the mental focus you have to have in a hundred or a mile or a 5k. Um, but it's like fascinating when you just stretch it out that far. I love it. All right, Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure. Hopefully we can do this a lot more often. Potential teaser. So Potential much. teaser for the future. Ooh. Potential <laughs> teaser. But we shall see. All right. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, man. Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always great to have some of my, my closest friends on the pod. It's always a pleasure. It's so much fun. It doesn't even feel like we're recording an episode when we're talking because usually the conversation mimics a little bit what we talk in real life. Usually we have a rundown and we want to hit certain topics, but... At the same time, it's always a blast. So thank you so much to Peter. Also, big shout out to MetPro. Head over to MetPro, that's M-E-T-P-R-O dot C-O forward slash rambling. If you're interested, you want to get a free consultation and see if it's a good fit for you. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.